0: So we're continuing in our series called Amazing Stories. And, you know, if, if, whether you believe the Bible, read the Bible, follow the Bible, you're against the Bible, whatever, the Bible is filled with tons of stories. And so for some of you, the Bible might just be like, oh, yeah, a bunch of neat stories, kind of like Aesop's fables. You can learn stuff from them, but, you know, it's not really a big deal. You can kind of read anything. <clears throat> Excuse me. And, and uh, learn something. For others of you, these stories mean something. You believe that God uh, helped somebody write these stories. And so what we've been talking about is that the Bible is full of these amazing stories. But in fact, the Bible in its entirety is really God's story. The Bible is really the story of how God interacts with people. And our goal is to then take God's story and then see how our story intertwines with God's story. And so this particular series, we've been looking at different people in the Bible. Uh, We looked at David and when he fought Goliath. We've looked at Daniel and the lion's den and that kind of stuff. And then this morning, we're going to look at another guy who came around uh, about 100 years after Solomon. Solomon was the wisest person who ever walked the face of the earth. And the reason he was was because... His father, David, um, when Solomon was ready to kind of take over, uh, God said, hey, ask for whatever you want. And Solomon asked for wisdom. And so then God was so happy with the fact that he asked for wisdom and didn't give him riches or power or anything like that, that that God said, look, because you asked for wisdom, and Solomon's request was specific. He said, I want wisdom to lead this great people of yours. Because that made God happy, God gave him all these riches, all this power. And so, you, you know, you're probably thinking like I am, like, hmm, if I pray for wisdom, hmm. you know, well, it's already been done, so God's like, hey, think of something else. But anyway, so so Solomon, like when Solomon gets done, now imagine this, you've got a kingdom that, that, that Solomon now is controlling, and he's the wisest man, the richest man, and becoming one of the most powerful men in the world, what could possibly go wrong? If you've been given wisdom by God, what could possibly go wrong? Well, something did go wrong. And what happened was, uh, and Bob will explain this, there was a series of events, and then the guy we're going to study this morning kind of rose up in the middle of those. So to describe what happened, Pastor Bob's going to come up and share with us with a, uh, for a little
1: bit. Start off with Solomon. Solomon. Greatest king ever. And just like he said, Solomon did a number of amazing things. He was chosen by God. He was blessed by God with wisdom. He was chosen to finally build the temple for God to make his name dwell. Um, He even established Israel. He was huge at the time. But you know the thing about wisdom is you got to use it. Okay? And near the end of his life, not so much. Because what he did alongside of these other things, if you have a chance to read it sometimes, is... And you can see it there. He marries Pharaoh's daughter. Bad thing for the people of Israel. He not only married her, he married hundreds of other foreign wives. Which meant he was making military alliances with other countries. Again, not something you're supposed to do. Well, his wives wanted to worship their own gods. And so he allowed his wives to set up altars in Jerusalem to their foreign gods, not the Lord. Not so cool. And then the worst thing that he did, at least politically, was near the end of his career, he was building all kinds of massive buildings and was depleting the country's finances. So he started putting heavy taxes, but not on everybody. His own tribe, Judah, they were exempt. It was just the other ten tribes. And when that wasn't enough, he actually started enslaving his own people. But again, not the people of Judah, just the ten other tribes. So you can imagine that when Solomon died, things were a little tense in Israel. So Solomon was succeeded by his son Rehoboam. And Rehoboam had two sets of advice. One is, dude, you've got to calm down. The country's about ready to blow up. But his other younger guys that he'd come up with said, no, nah, man, you've got to show him who's the boss. Well, he had seen the movies that we'd seen, and he decided if you're following a, a prominent powerful man. You've got to be prominent and powerful yourself. And so he thought he was going to be that guy. But even guys that try to be hardcore often don't turn out to be hardcore, and it didn't work out terribly well. So what happens to Rehoboam is he's hardcore for about a month, and then all of a sudden, Rehoboam is king in one place, and a new guy, Jeroboam, is king of the rest of the country. What happened is the other 10 tribes just said, fine you're going to treat us like slaves then we're done with you and jeroboam who ironically was one of the labor supervisors of the north becomes the king of what becomes a separate kingdom and you can see it there from this point on god's people are actually this is our border god's people are actually two different kingdoms there's a southern kingdom of judah where their capital is in jerusalem and then there's a northern kingdom that's usually called israel and that's the other ten tribes Well, the story that we're going to read takes place in that northern kingdom. And Jeroboam starts out okay. The Lord makes promises to him, says, you're going to be my king, just serve me and listen to me. And Jeroboam doesn't get the wisdom part, so he goes bad really fast and starts doing a number of crummy things, including building two golden calves, which, if you know from Israel's story, is a bad idea. And so the Lord tells Jeroboam, you're not going to be succeeded. In fact, your line is going to die violently. So we start with Jeroboam. Jeroboam is chosen by God but sins. And then he is succeeded briefly by a guy named Nadab. And then Nadab, as the Lord said, is assassinated by a guy named Basha. Basha rules for about 20 years and does okay. He still sins against the Lord. He's a bad king according to First Kings. Basha is succeeded for, by Elah for two years And the Lord had said, "Now you're not going to last either. And in fact, that's what happens. Ella is, you got it, assassinated by Zimri, but it's getting closer. Zimri lasts a week, and then he is assassinated by Omri. Omri is politically actually a pretty good king. He consolidates power in the north. He builds a capital in a place called Samaria. It's on a hill. It belongs only to him. It allows him to consolidate the king's power But the thing is, is he is completely forgotten about the Lord. And the Lord had nothing to do with him. And then he succeeded after some years by his son Ahab. And that's the guy that we're going to talk about today. Now, if you read 1 Kings, and Ahab's story begins at 1 Kings 16, the author of 1 Kings is not a fan of Ahab. Now, he's not a fan of any of these guys, but he is especially unhappy with Ahab. Not only does he sin like his father's, but the author tells us he sinned more than anybody else before. He's especially wound up about it. So, and in case you're wondering why, the author slows down and tells us really explicitly what the problem is with Ahab. It's so bad, I had to highlight it in red, okay? So, first thing is, is he marries a foreign wife whose name is Jezebel. Jezebel means little princess. Her father's name is Ethba, which means Baal, the god of the Canaanites and the, and the Phoenicians that she's from. It means Baal is the boss. And little princess means he's, Baal's the prince, so I belong to the prince. I belong to Baal. Well, he not only marries a foreign wife like Solomon did, but he himself becomes a Baal worshiper. Not just kind of have the Lord on one side and Baal somewhere else, but he becomes a Baal worshiper. And in his new capital in Samaria, he sets up a temple for Baal, the god of the Canaanites, the god of the Phoenicians. And just to round it out, um, he sets up Asherah poles all over Israel. Asherah is like Baal's girlfriend, and so they kind of balance each other out. So the story is really Israel is in a bad place when Ahab becomes king. And so the Lord decides to send a prophet. And the guy's name is Elijah. Now, since we're paying attention to names, we get right to the situation. Elijah's name means my God is the Lord. So, no Baal for him. And what the Lord does is, like a lot of prophets, he sends him over to speak. And he says, Here's the deal because of your sin, it is not going to reign in Israel for a number of years. Now, why rain? Because Baal is a rain god. That's his job. And so the Lord is saying, all right, let's see who's boss here. You know, your father-in-law, his name is Baal is the boss. Let's see who really is the boss here. Okay. And so that's the situation. But then once that happens, as soon as this happens, the Lord sends Elijah on the road into a lot of weird, really amazing, but kind of weird situations. And he sends him all over the place. You can see all of these lines here where Elijah goes here and then he goes here and then he goes here and then he go- he goes all over the place. Okay. Now, Here's the thing. A lot of times when you read the Bible, it's, these places are just kind of whatever. So I wanted this to make a little more sense to us. So imagine that Samaria, the capital, is Garden Grove, okay? So we're, we're, we're a temple of Yahweh. We're a temple of the Lord in Samaria, in Garden Grove. And imagine that, I don't know, Carl's Jr. is the temple of Baal, okay? So the first thing the Lord does is he takes Elijah out of the land, and he says, I'm going to take you somewhere else. And he takes him to, well, Corona. Okay? He takes him to a place that's outside of the land. It's about 30 miles away. And he feeds him. And, he, and Elijah is fed during this time. A famine is on. And he's fed by ravens. And he's given water in a dry creek bed. So the Lord is showing the way that he can feed people in a way that Baal can't. After the Lord has made this point, he decides to take him way up here. And this is, uh, Zarephath, is Jezebel's hometown, okay? So he's going to take him right into the heartland of Baal. Now, if he's going from Corona, this would be about where Magic Mountain is, okay? So he goes up, all the way up, different area code, way out there. And while he's there, as soon as Elijah gets there, there's a famine on. Baal's not doing a very good job at taking care of his people, And so he sees this woman, and he says, look, lady, you need to give me something to eat. And she says, look, I'm a widow. I have one son. I'm starving. We only have enough for one more meal. We're going to eat that, and then we're going to die. And he says, no, no, no. He says, I work for the Lord. He says, go make the meal. There'll be plenty for all of us. Well, the woman does this, and it happens. The Lord, miraculously through Elijah, provides that food. So once again, what Baal can't do in his home territory— The Lord, through his prophet, is able to do. And then, out of nowhere, the woman's son dies. And Elijah, once again, calls on the Lord, and her son rises from the dead. He's able to bring him actually back. So we see that the Lord can sustain you in the wilderness. He can sustain you in some other God's territory. And the Lord can even bring people back to life. Well, in the meantime, a couple of years have passed, and now it's time to deal with King Ahab. And so the Lord sends Jeremiah or Elijah back to go meet up with Ahab. And Ahab's not having it. He's like, ah, it's the troubler of Israel. And Elijah's response is, you know, I'm not the troubler, you are. But here's the key thing that he says that it's important for us to get. It's not that they're the smack talk back and forth between them. But what really matters is what he says here. He says, look, here's why you're in trouble. You and your father's family... You guys have abandoned the Lord's commandments and followed the Baals. See, this is the problem. The Lord is happy to provide for his people, but they got to be willing to be his people. And if you turn your back on God, then there's going to be trouble. And so Elijah proposes a test. Okay, Baal's a thunder and lightning God, so let's do this. We're going to set up a couple altars and we're going to call on the gods to send lightning and fire down from the heavens to consume the, alt, the offering, and we'll see who is really the boss here. And so, and so they set these things up, and they go to Mount, oops, they go to Mount Carmel, which is right here. And if this were on our our maps, it's about where Malibu is. Okay, so we're getting closer back to home. And they meet up on the top of Mount Carmel, and they set up the different altars. But before they do that, Elijah wants the people of Israel to know really what's at stake. And so he makes it really clear. And he says, look, he says, why do you guys keep going back and forth between the Lord and Baal? We're going to figure this out once and for all. If Baal is God, then go ahead and follow him. But if the Lord is God, and you can see Elijah, he knows where this is going, then you guys need to follow him, okay? And so he lays it out. And note that the people have nothing to say. They're really stuck. They don't know what to do. And so they go ahead and they start the competition. And the prophets of Baal do all of their stuff. They dance. They sing. They slash themselves. They shout. They do all kinds of stuff. And nothing happens. They do it all morning. And then around lunchtime, Elijah tries to help. Now, I don't think Elijah's being all that friendly here, okay? I think there's probably a small amount of sarcasm in what Elijah is saying here. He says, hey, you know, where is your gut? You know, maybe, maybe if you just shout a little louder, you'll get his attention. Or, you know, maybe he's thinking deep thoughts. He's a God, you know, they, they do that. Or, or he's busy, you know, gods have a lot to do. Or, or maybe, and this is actually an idiom for this, maybe he's going to the bathroom, because they had, you know, outdoor toilets, so their idiom for going to the bathroom was I'm going to take a little walk. That's what it says here in Hebrew. Maybe he's taking a little walk and you got to get his attention. What's the deal? Nothing happens. So then it's the Lord's turn. And they go to the Lord's altar and just to show off, I think a little bit, Elijah orders people to pour bucket after bucket after bucket over the altar. So it's totally wet, the woods wet, the things In fact, there's so much water, there's a trench around the altar, and that's full of water. Okay. And he's about to call on the Lord. But before he does that, the key point that he makes here, the prophet once again speaks. And this is what really matters, even more than what happens next. Elijah wants to be sure to frame this for the people. And he says this, he says, look, the Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel... Let it be known today that you are the God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all of these things at your, your command. So Elijah's saying, look, this is not just me. I am totally working for the Lord. And what you're about to see is not my doing, but it's the Lord's doing, okay? And then to just make sure they get it exactly right, he says, answer me, Lord, answer me, so that these people will know that you are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. So this is, this is not about amazing fire. This is not about cool stuff. This is about getting the people back on track. And so Elijah prays, and it works. This is an actual drawing of the actual thing. But no, it, it, when, the Lord, when, the, when the fire comes from heaven, and remember, Baal is a, a ra- rain god, and Baal is a fire or lightning god. Baal fails, the Lord succeeds at Baal's job the fire comes from heaven, it not only consumes the sacrifice, it consumes the wood that it was sitting on, it consumes the rock that the wood was sitting on, and it consumes the ground and the water underneath. There's nothing but a giant smoking hole left in the ground after this. So, who's the real God of lightning and thunder? I think we know this one. The Israelites clearly get it. When they see this, they fall on the ground, and remember they were silent before? Now the Israelites know what's up. They say, the Lord, he is God. The Lord is He is God. Now, Elijah turns back to Ahab and says, hey, you know, you better go get something to eat because there's big stuff coming. And what was coming is we're going back to the rain. Baal's a rain god and a fire god. We've handled fire. Now, it's three and a half years later, it's time to get rid of the rain. And he tells Ahab, you better get out of here. And then there's a really interesting series of stories along the way where Elijah gets ready for the rain, and he tells his, pro, his servant, go look at what you see. And he says, well, all I see is like a cloud the size of a fist way off in the horizon. Well, that's the rain that's coming. And he tells, he tells Ahab, all right, rain's coming. You better get out of here. And Ahab does. He jumps in his chariot and rides from his chariot from Carmel back to Jezreel, which is his, his summer capital. It'd be about where Beverly Hills is on our map. It's about 25 miles away. And The amazing thing is, is once the, once the rain starts, that the power of the Lord comes on Elijah, and he actually beats Ahab there. Ahab's in a chariot going about 15 miles an hour, probably taking about an hour and 40 minutes, so let's assume he had a little head start. In the power of the Lord, Elijah gets there in an hour and a half. I figured this out, he's running at about 336 per mile pace. That's 10 seconds faster than the world record, and then he does it 25 more times, okay? Obviously, the Lord is is with Elijah. And then when they get there, you know, Ahab tells Jezebel everything that's happened and how he had killed all of the prophets. I forgot that part. He kills all the prophets of Baal along the way. And you would think at this point in the story, we're done, right? Elijah is power. We've established the Lord's power. We've established that Elijah is the Lord's spokesperson. We've established that Baal, not so good as a God. The Lord is completely in charge. The people of Israel are completely on track. All that's left is to send Jezebel away, get the people going, get Ahab back on track. And it's all good, right? Elijah should be at the peak of his situation. He, he's just had the most amazing situation. He's just broken the world record in the mile 25 consecutive times. But that's not what happens next. And John's going to tell us why. So uh, he gets back to
0: Jezreel. He'd beaten the chariot, which would just be the coolest thing ever. I'm sorry if you could just run that fast. And uh, he gets a text message, essentially, because uh, after Ahab had told uh, Jezebel everything that had happened, Jezebel says, give me his phone number. She gets on there and she sends him this text, okay? So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah. Oh, I guess it was a messenger. (laughs) You can beat the mile, but you can't create a cell phone? I mean, come on. Okay. To Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them, one of the prophets that were killed. After that fire came down, uh, Elijah says, kill them all. There's like 850 people, uh, prophets of Baal and Asherah that that were killed at that time. And so Jezebel sends this messenger to Elijah and says, hey dude, come here for a second, I want to talk to you. By tomorrow, you're going to be dead. Now here's the thing. I just want you to think a little bit about your own life with God. Now, maybe right now you're here and you're, you don't know where you stand with God or you're just trying to figure out the whole thing. But just imagine, put, your, put yourself in this position that you actually believe all this stuff and that you're trying to live it out yourself. And your life with God has been phenomenal. Like, like what Bob was talking about, for Elijah, I mean, for, yeah, for Elijah... He would literally have the ravens. God had the ravens bring him food. So you're kicking back at work. Imagine you're at your cubicle, you're looking at the clock. You're like, man, five more minutes to lunchtime. I'm so hungry. And all of a sudden, you know, ding! It's five. It's it's twelve o'clock. And all of a sudden. Like in through the front door comes this raven with like a Togo sandwich. Lands on there. Here you go. And you're like, pastrami. Thanks, Lord. Every day in the morning. And then at night you get home and it's like pot roast. Here we go. Blam. There you go. Oh, man. This is awesome. Thank you, God. That's your life with God. And then at work. You're just like, like people are mocking you because you're a Christian. And you're like, you know, I don't know what to do. And all of a sudden the Lord's like, gather everybody in the conference room. And you're like, gather them all. And you're just like, and like fire comes up. And people are like, oh my gosh, dude, I'm so sorry I made fun of being a Christian. All this kind of stuff. You know, I, man, we know now that you, you're awesome and you're like, fine. And then all of a sudden the Olympics are on and you're like, hey, like beat the world record. And people are just like, this guy, his life with God or this woman, her life with God is unlike anything we've ever seen. And all of a sudden somebody whose gods we already know are useless and, 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 and all, all the, her power structure, the prophets of Baal and the prophets of Asherah have been destroyed. I mean, she should be really like, ah, i made a ah, sorry about that. But she sends this messenger. If you have a relationship with God that strong, you've seen all that kind of stuff. Imagine what your response would be. It'd be like, bring it. I can either run away from them. I've already proven that. Or I'll just bring down some fire. Bam, everything's done. What Elijah does can either totally discourage you, like you're just thinking to yourself, man, I I don't know, or it can be really encouraging. Because the next verse that's in the Bible, whether it encourages you or discourages you, is just bizarre. Here's what he says. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life Seen All that stuff. Ravens bringing you Togo sandwiches. Fire. Ra- I mean, he's seen fire and rain. It's like a James Taylor song. I've seen fire and I've seen rain. <clears throat> First service, it was so much more funnier than that. <laughs> anyway. So, uh, probably because I just thought of it right then first service and this here I tried to plan it No, but, right, it, when, he, when that dead guy when Bob was talking about the, the widow's son who was dead you know what he did so the, the, the kid's dead and Elijah climbs on top of him and lies on him And it's like, Lord, please heal him. And nothing. And he does it three times. And all of a sudden, the guy's like, you know, get off me. What are you doing? And he's like, well, you were dead, bro. I just saved you. Like you've seen all that. And all of a sudden, you get a text message or an email or a phone call or a letter in the mail that says IRS. And you run for your life. I have totally been Elijah. I have totally been there. I think we all have. We've all had those times in our lives where we felt so close to God. We felt like, man, whatever we pray for, it's coming true. We have faith that can move mountains. We're maybe in a small group and we're sharing lives together and we're just watching God do all these things and then all of a sudden there's a pink slip on our desk and we just freak out and we run for our lives. Why? Here's the key word. Elijah was afraid. Elijah, all of a sudden, looked at his circumstances and went, I don't think God's going to be able to. And, and listen, for us, being on the other side, reading this, we look at Elijah and we go, dude, are you crazy? Like, after all that, you're just going to get scared by some lady up, in a, up at Magic Mountain? I mean, that's just ridiculous. But see, I think the same could be said for all of us after what we've all seen God do in our own lives and in family members' lives and maybe in our neighborhood or at our school or whatever, right, all of a sudden something happens. There's something that kind of gets us really close, really personal. Maybe it's a doctor's office that calls and says, we got your results and and we want to run for our lives. So that's what he does. He runs for a day out into the desert and he does really what all of us do he says i've had enough lord again we look at him we're like you've had enough you just call down you've seen the most craziest things ever and you've had okay you know i wish if you're honest don't you go i wish i could have seen all that he says i've seen enough take my life isn't that what he was afraid of in the first place Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he laid down under the tree and he took a nap. (laughs) I've been there. So it's like, I just want to go to sleep. You know, you get your thing, you're trying to figure it out because, listen, trying to go through life afraid and on the run is exhausting. It's so exhausting. He goes a day, he falls under this broom tree which doesn't even provide that much shade and he falls asleep. Now here's the thing. If I were God... I'd be like, dude, there's nothing else I can do for you. I did these miracles. I had you lie on a dead guy. and you know, I mean, you've seen more than anyone. Elijah's like the first miracle worker in history. And it's like, you've seen everything. You're on your own, but that's not what God does. As he takes that day's journey into the desert, guess who went with him? God God sends this angel. And again, throughout Elijah's story, you will see how God sustains him. It's very physical. There's always food there. There's always water there. There's always provision. There's always the the presence of God with Elijah. And so this is no different. He's under the broom tree. He says, take my life. I don't want to live anymore. And an angel comes and cooks him up some bread and some water. And he's like, hey, Elijah, wake up. He wakes up it has got this hot. It says the Bible says it's this hot loaf of bread. With this stone that's hot coals on it, and he eats the bread and the water. And the angel says, "Look, you're, this is this journey. This is too hard for you. Eat something." So he eats it, and then he decides. realizes in his life. You know what? I got to get back. No, he takes another nap again. And so Bob and I have been talk. We were talking. We talk about these passages throughout the week, and we both study, and then we talk about it, and. I, I think he's struggling with depression here. I really do. And maybe that's you. Maybe you've, maybe you've struggled with depression. You've, you know what that feels like. You're being sustained by the Lord, but you just want to sleep or you just want to escape. And so the angel wakes him up another time, feeds him again and says, Come on, get up. This is too much for you. And then Elijah goes for 40 days to Mount Horeb, which is where we got our Ten Commandments. And you get this sense that what, what Elijah's looking for is, you know, when you, get to, when, you, when you read the story of how we got our Ten Commandments, those at the bottom were looking up at the, at, the, um, at the mountain and they're seeing lightning and, you know, clouds and thunder and all this kind of commotion. And so they're like freaking out. I think that's what he's going for. I think Elijah's going like, I got to see, I just need one more time for God to do something great. And so he ends up in this cave and God meets him in this cave and asks Elijah a question that he asks anyone who's on the run. Now you might be on the run right now. You might have seen God do really great stuff in your life. But all of a sudden your spouse said, sayonara. And you're like, man, I'm out of here. This is crazy. Maybe, maybe your finances took a turn maybe you got laid off maybe something caused you to you were afraid and you ran maybe you were afraid of being alone and so you got into a relationship that you shouldn't have gotten into and there you are and you're just like man I need to meet God again I gotta get in touch with God again maybe the church wounded you and you just said you know what those people are hypocrites I'm out of here and you went off on your own, and now God is coming to you. And here's the question he has for you. What are you doing here? Elijah's in this cave. He's at the mountain of God. He's in this cave. He says, what are you, what are you doing here? I think for a lot of us, this is God's question. For those of us who've, who've, who've run before, who've seen God do great things, and then we get whatever it was, some information, and we go, man, this is just too much, and we took off. When God finally meets us, that's the question He has because He wants us to answer the question for ourselves What am I doing here? What was I trying to get? What was I trying to fix? What, what, what was it about this particular situation that caused me not to run to God, but to go and say, God, take my life. It's too much for me. Kill me. I want to just take a nap and just not wake up. What do you run to? Do you run to a substance? Do you run to a relationship? Do you run to something that just kind of gives this instant pleasure for a second, or it just you just want to escape? The Lord has the same question for all of us. I've been there. What are you doing here? Now watch Elijah's answer, because I think in his answer, we can learn a lot about ourselves. He says this. He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord. Now what you'll see in this particular thing is that Elijah speaks both truth and untruth, which is just like we all do when we're making excuses to God. We don't just out and out lie we kind of like go, oh, you know, it's kind of like when you, uh, w- you know, when you're late to work and you say, oh, I, oh, there was a ton of traffic. And like, yeah, there was at that last light you were at just before you pulled in the driveway, but it was smooth sailing all the way there. You just got up late. Okay. So there's a little bit of truth, a little bit of untruth. Okay. So he says, I've been zealous for the Lord, God Almighty. That's true. He has. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. That's true. They have broken down your altars yep put your prophets to death with the sword well yeah it was really more Jezebel but okay I'm the only one left that's not true as a matter of fact when you read through those chapters he even knows and was told twice there's another hundred prophets that, were, that survived that slaughter by Jezebel of, of prophets of God and now they're trying to kill me too now, God hears that. I mean, that, that is, that's an ironclad argument. If you're arguing to God, you come up with something like that, God's just like, wow, now that you mention it, I hadn't thought about that. Here's what God says to Elijah. I'll tell you what, I'll meet with you. Get ready, because I'm coming. You're going to see me face to face. You're going to hear me. And so this fire comes on the mountain. Just this crazy thing. I mean, this is what Elijah wanted to see in the first place, right? He's listening. He doesn't hear God in the fire. And so God sends this wind. You're Like, wow, you know, he's in the cave and there's this wind going. He's listening. He's a prophet. He's listening for the word of the Lord. God, is this what you're doing? Is this what you want to tell me? Nothing. God says an earthquake, which is what we all want to hear God in, right? Because he's got, you know, and then we listen and go, wow, you I heard God in this earthquake. Nothing. I think God hears his still, small voice. Hey. And Elijah knows it's God, so he covers up his face, and he walks to the edge of the cave. And now you figure God's going to let him have it, because he already tried to argue. He gave up everything. This was his argument. Here's what God says. What are you doing here, Elijah? (laughs) What are you doing? You know what Elijah says? Watch. I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. Blah, 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 blah. As a matter of fact, I want you to look at this slide. And I'm going to show you, this is verse 14. I'm going to show you a slide of verse 10. And I want you to be very close. What changes, what word changes In that slide. Okay, this is verse 14. That's his second time. Here's his first time. Oh. Okay, now I want you to look at the number up in the upper left-hand corner. That's verse 10. That's verse 14. 10, 14. 10, 14. Whoops. Okay, you got the idea. Elijah doesn't change his story at all. You know what I believe? I believe Elijah had rehearsed this whole thing for the last 40 days. See, this is what happens. When we run, we begin to rehearse. When we run from God, we begin to get our story down. We begin to say, and it it can happen at any time. You could be in the shower. This happened to me. I've been in the shower. All of a sudden, you know, something comes in. You know, he never should have talked to me that way. I don't even know why he would do that. I can't even believe this. You guys are like, ooh, mm, yeah, right? <laughs> but you begin to rehearse. Well, and then, and then, you know, she told me that I wasn't doing enough around the house. And I was like, oh, you know, and you begin to, and all of a sudden when God says, hey, what are you doing here? You go, you don't even know my story. You, you've never been rejected. You don't know. You know, you've never, you know, and we begin to get our story down. This is very dangerous. Runners become rehearsers. And so what does he do? Well, God doesn't ask him again, what are you doing here? God says, look, enough, enough. Here's what he says to him. He says, the Lord said to him, go back the way you came. You know, you, you were exactly where you're supposed to be in Jezreel, okay? I gave you superpowers to get there. Super fast. That's where you're going to be, and all of a sudden, something sidetracked you. That messenger from Jezreel, get back there, go back. I think God's telling us the same thing. If you're on the run right now, if you had that relationship with God, if you if you were close to God, if you felt Him all different ways, and maybe you know what? Maybe for you, this is why you're here this morning. For you, this is your process of you know what? I got. I talk to people all the time, all week long talk to them and they'll ask them to tell me their story and they'll go, I I gotta get back to church. It's not because they feel guilty because I'm a pastor. It's because God has been going, go back the way you came. And they've been ignoring it and ignoring it and ignoring it. And it's like, yeah, but they go back to their rehearsal. Yeah, but you don't know what they did to me over there. You don't know. Or this. Or you, you know, my dad was a he was a Christian and now they're a bunch of hypocrites. Whatever. I mean, it doesn't have to be the church. And God's going, Go back. Go back. Go back. Maybe you used to be in the word all, you know, every day during the week and you were just close to God and all of a sudden you got a job and you got busy and you, you get up early and you go work late. I get that. God's going, hey, it's time to go back. So he tells them, go back the way you came. Go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazel king over Aram. He gives him this new task. And then in there, he also tells him some other things. And oh, and by the way, now, now God begins to deal with him on his little issues. And he says, first of all, we're going to get Elisha as going to be the prophet that takes your place. And I don't believe this was a berating. He's, I think he was just saying, look, you said you were tired before. He said, Lord, enough. God's going, I know, I know. We're going to get Elisha to take your place. Elisha. And, and so, you know, he, that happens. And he says, oh, and, and by the way, that whole thing about you're the only one. God just begins to encourage him. There's 7,000 in Israel that have not bowed their knees to Baal and have not kissed him. You're not alone. I think God's telling us the same thing. I mean, doesn't that sound like our Heavenly Father? Hey, go back the way you came. You're not alone. Okay? You're gonna, I'm going to have some people help you. It's going to be alright. Just go back. Now, as discouraging as that first verse was where it says Elijah was afraid and ran for his life this next verse is incredibly encouraging and I, I hope this next verse is the one that applies to you this week here's what he says so Elijah went from there he'd, he, he'd gone up he'd, he'd kind of exhausted all his options finally in this still small voice God was talking to him God was talking to him and said, hey, go back. And Elijah did it. As David comes up and leads us in this last song, my prayer for you is that if you're on the run and you've kind of gotten to the end of your rope that you turn around and go back to God. See, the story of Elijah, although there's a lot of crazy stuff in there, it's really a story of sustenance God was sustaining him through all the different emotions all the different stages of his spirituality if you will and he wants to sustain you as well so here's what I'd like us to do I'd like us all to close our eyes and bow our heads what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to just kind of take a quick little inventory of your life see where you're at answer the question why are you here For some of us We're just about to do a Mount Carmel thing We are so fired up for God We we don't know what to do We're just waiting for the fire to fall To you I'd say Be cautious That you're not going from fire to fire Be careful because the text, the email The envelope's coming For some of you you just got that text. You just got the info. And you are afraid. And you're tempted. You're tempted to run. And God's telling you hey, stay. Stand. You're going to be okay. I got gotcha. you. For others, you're, you're already gone. And you're tired. And your Heavenly Father's telling you to come back. I want to give you that opportunity now for those of you who've never maybe made a commitment to God through what Jesus Christ did on the cross you've, but you just feel like your life has been running and you know that now it's time to turn from those sins to turn from those complications from turn from the 40 days of just trying to get to a spot and you're just tired and you've never done that you, you, this is your morning for, for you for others, you've, you know God. You, you've, you've had that relationship. And through what the church did or, or you did or somebody else did, you've ran for your life. And now God's saying, turn and come back the way you came. If that's either of you, either you've never done it before or you want to, and you, and you kind of sense in your heart that that still small voice that God spoke to Elijah with is a still small voice talking to you right now. I would ask you if that's you and you're ready to make that decision that you raise your hand and look up at me everybody else's eyes are closed but I want to make sure we don't miss anybody is there anybody here who's never made that decision thank you anyone else anyone else I don't want to miss anyone maybe you have and it's time to come home awesome awesome here's what we're going to do we're all going to pray this prayer together if we feel comfortable doing so you might you might not want to Um, but even those who are man i mean we're shoot the fire's coming down or however whatever we're just right in the middle of the miracle instead of the we pray these things too and it's basically a prayer of submission a prayer of humility it's a prayer of offering our lives to god and so we're all going to pray this I'll pray it in phrases and you can just repeat this phrase Dear God I give my life to you thank you for dying for my sins I want to be where you want me to be and I give you authority over my life take it in Jesus name Amen Amen Oh, <laughs>